It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports Columnist Center with Rick Roaring. Each week, we talk about sports topics locally, some nationally. We have a gambling segment that we keep trudging through, even though there's not a lot to gamble on at the moment. And, of course, the segment of the show where I can answer or try to answer any of your questions where you can ask me anything. You can find it on Twitter to hashtag ask skinny anything we've got a lot on today's podcast a lot of different sports topics ranging from the nfl to baseball to college basketball to the nba playoffs perhaps looking ahead from some betting stuff so lots to get to rick absolutely let's jump right into it the release only took about a month and a half to complete but the bengals full schedule is out for the 2021 season now cincinnati opens up at home against minnesota before heading to chicago in week two to face either an old friend in annie dalton or ohio state's justin fields the bengals only have one primetime game to start that comes in week four with a thursday night game against jacksonville with urban meyer trevor lawrence and now tim tebow skinny what was the first thing that jumped out to you when you saw the Bengals schedule for the first time? Um, you better get off to a, a good start because um, the schedule shapes up to give you an opportunity to, to do so. Uh, I mean, I, I'm looking through the first six games and, and you have a legitimate chance to be four and two. I'm not demanding it. I'm not going to do the, they should win this game, that game. But, but again, when you look at it um, critically and look at, you know, the pieces you maybe have, have improved and, and some of these teams where they're at, and I'll just run them down real quickly. Minnesota at home, um, you know, they, they are a teetering team that feels like it's teetering on the brink of going the other way the last couple of years. You got the, the Bears on the road. You're either going to face Andy Dalton, who wasn't good enough to quarterback here, or, or a rookie Justin Fields. That seems like a pretty nice place to play your, your road opener um, against a team like that. Then Pittsburgh on the road. I, I can't ever predict the Bengals win at Pittsburgh until the Bengals actually start beating Pittsburgh overall, and especially in Pittsburgh. But this is a bad Pittsburgh team. I, I, I think they've got a chance to be, honestly, the last place team in this division. I'm not telling you the Bengals are going to be significantly better, but I, I think Pittsburgh is significantly worse. Then you get, you know, Jacksonville at home on the Thursday night, even though they've got, a, 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 you know, the, 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 the hot quarterback in Tanner Lawrence. Um, you know, we still don't know if he can play in this league and, 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 and lead a team. I mean, as good as Joe Burrow was last year, Joe Burrow didn't win games single-handedly for the Bengals. Uh, he kept them in a bunch. But that, that's a spot. Then Green Bay, who knows who their quarterback is when they play them. If it's Aaron Rodgers, then I don't give them a, a great shot to win the game. It is here. But if it's not Aaron Rodgers, then you got a great shot. And then at Detroit, and they're a rebuilding team. So the first six games, you got a legit chance to be four and two. You can't be worse than three and three. And I'll be honest, if you are, the hot seat gets really hot for Zach Taylor because then you got to go play at Baltimore. You play at the Jets. I don't think they're going to be good. But then you play Cleveland before the bye. <clears throat> and you got a chance to have your, your, your job security in question at the bye week. But they've given you a soft landing spot of your actor. They've given you a fighting chance to get off to a good enough start to save your job. Uh, first of all, I think it's disrespectful to Tim Tebow that you so flippantly just threw Trevor Lawrence out there as the starter for Jacksonville. Well, he, I think he's a, tie, he, he's a he's a tight end now. Remember, for now. But I mean, Jesus converted water to wine. I, I don't don't think it's impossible <laughs> that he could end up being the quarterback here uh, when Urban's all, all sudden done with training camp. But neither here nor there. I, I think. First of all, saying that they, they can't be worse than three and three is you haven't watched this Bengals team the last couple of years. They can absolutely be worse than three and three. Especially oh, no, no, I'm talking about for job security. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about for job security, though. You better not because you, you, you've got a really rough stretch after the after the bye week and you got a really rough stretch to end the season. I mean, you you better you I'll tell you what for his job security. He best be two and four or you best be three and three and not two and four. 
Yeah. Because no. two and four is good. Because two and four is going to turn into two and five at Baltimore and then Katie bar the door night night. Yeah, it could, it could get ugly. You mentioned you, you need to get off to a quick start, but I think the thing that jumped out to me just as much is they don't even have to be that good to get off to a good start right, this year. Right. I mean, they don't have to play above their level. Joe Burrow doesn't have to come back and be on fire for the Bengals to have a chance to win, like you mentioned, any of the first six games. It's not, it's not like, oh, they've got a good chance to be four and two, but here's two automatic losses that they're not going to win, and you know, four games are toss-ups. They have a chance to win all six of them. So saying they yeah. could be four and two is very, very reasonable looking at those first six games. Yeah. And the funny thing is, though, I could also argue they may be underdogs in each of the first three. They're already an underdog uh, in week one. Now, that can change, obviously, significantly by the time we get to week one. But the early line set for week one had Minnesota as a two and a half point favorite. It is conceivable that they're a road underdog to Chicago. It's more than likely they're a road underdog to Pittsburgh. They'll probably be that. Uh, a favorite against Jacksonville. Um, and then the Green Bay's probably, if, if Rodgers is playing, they're a dog in a road game against Detroit. They're probably, you know, a pick them to a slight dog. So technically they're probably, and I'll be interested because the, the NFL or the sports books always do this and they'll probably do it today, I would think. And hopefully I can get a story up maybe tomorrow on it um, where they'll set the lines for every game. And you remember last year, Rick, they were favored in what, two games, as I recall, Jacksonville and the Giants maybe? Yeah, and you're right. I mean, yeah, I don't think they'll be favored in most of these games, but uh, obviously we're trying to have a little vision and a little foresight yeah. here yeah. Of, of them being better than than maybe what people would expect or what Vegas would expect. But yeah, I mean, you're right. They're not the favorite against Minnesota. They're probably not going to be the following two weeks. Jacksonville, they do have that chance. So yeah, I mean, yeah. your point is well taken, but still, I think just looking at the the way the schedule shakes out this team is a completely different team in my opinion if they find a way to get to that 4 and 2 or somehow yep. a 5 and 1 mark where they've got some confidence rolling and and Joe Burrow's back there slinging and this offense is putting up points if that's who they are heading into you know week 7 and and they're getting ready to play Baltimore, the Jets, like, and they've and they've got some momentum rolling before that bye week. I think this is a totally different team going into that second half stretch where things get really difficult than it is if they're three and three or two and four even, and things haven't really clicked yet. Then all of a sudden, I think, man, th- it could get ugly because they might not win a game in that late stretch. Yeah, it, I mean that late stretch is tough, but I could also argue if things are going well, you know, what, what's what's lost, what's Vegas like at that point? Are they done with Derek Carr? Is John Gruden, um, you know, uh, I can't say his seat is hot because he's got that ten year contract, but uh, things have not gone well. I've already mentioned I think Pittsburgh's a train wreck, but they're still Pittsburgh, and I'll tip my cap to them because they always find a way. The Chargers always seem to charger themselves, but they seem to be on the cusp of being maybe this year's hot chic non playoff pick to make a long run in the playoffs. Frisco has a nice roster, but who's quarterbacking them when they play them? Is it going to be Jimmy G or are they turned on from Jimmy G at that point? Um, you know, the final three game stretch is a bear though. I mean, Baltimore, Kansas city, and at Cleveland, you're playing three, uh, three playoff teams from a year ago that I don't think have gotten any worse. In fact, I think they've all gotten better and that makes, that makes that final three game stretch really difficult. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying that there's no chance the Bengals could win some of those games you were mentioning right after the bye week, but I feel totally different about that team heading into that stretch if they're 500 or yes. under yeah. than I do yeah. if, you know, they've got a winning record and they've they've built some momentum going into the bye. Like, I, I think it's very possible for this team to be in a good spot, have momentum, 
and have confidence rolling heading into that November 14th bye week versus if not, we're looking at this thing like Zach Taylor should be fired more than likely. This is almost a lost season in some way. So those first, however you want to break it down, five, six, seven weeks are going to be so critical to how we view this season as it always is. But this one just even more so because of Zach Taylor being on the hot seat because of Joe Burrow's injury situation and because of the way the schedule is shaken out being so backloaded and kind of light on the front end. Yeah. And, and I think if they do have that record, you talked about Rick, the, you know, five and four, six and three at the buy, I think it's not just momentum. I think it means that, that this team probably played well enough to earn that. Um, uh, and that's the, that I think that would be the exciting thing of, okay, they're maybe a part or two away from doing some really good things. And you've got such a good core of young guys that I'm excited for the second half. I'm excited for the future. Um, so yeah, you get to that, but yeah, if you go to three and six and you've, you know, you've beaten Jacksonville and you beat the jets at the jets and you eked out another one, maybe Chicago. Cause they're so bad. In my opinion, you do that and you lose the rest and you, you, you know, being three and six with, with that is, is a very jaundiced eye of, okay, they're still a long way away, both on the field talent wise and from a coaching perspective. So yeah, it's uh, I think I, I will say this, the, the schedule at least gave them a level of hope as opposed to opening with the, 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 that N three stretch where you would play Baltimore, Kansas city and at Cleveland, that would have gotten you off to the disastrous start. At least it gives you a chance to get off to that quality start. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's a, an easy stretch for Joe Burrow to get started with because he's a second year quarterback coming off an ACL injury with a, with an offensive line that is at best an experience together, even if you believe it's vastly improved from last season. So I don't think anything's going to be easy for him, but you look at those first four defenses that he's going to face. And I mean, maybe Minnesota's the scariest out of, those yeah and that's a big maybe and they were not very good last year at all but you just think they had some injuries and maybe they'll they'll bounce back with Zimmer there but yeah I I I I tend to think that these first four defenses they're going to face are going to give that offensive line and Burrow a chance to put up some points early and that's the thing that I'm probably most excited about is just that there will be the opportunity to build some confidence there yep All right, the Reds have a huge series coming up this weekend in Colorado. After taking two of three against the Pirates, including Wednesday's extra innings win, they're now in third place in the NL Central, with the Brewers just a game and a half ahead of them and the Cardinals just three games up for the lead in the division. The Rockies are the worst team in the NL West, sitting nine and a half games out of first with a record of 13 and 24. Over the last three games against the Pirates, we saw Eugenio Suarez's bat come to life as he went 5-13 and with a homer and four RBIs, including the big three-run double in the 10th inning to seal Wednesday's win. Also, closer Amir Garrett has shown some signs of bouncing back from his early season struggles as he's made four straight scoreless appearances now while allowing just one hit and a pair of walks to go with six strikeouts. Skinny, if I told you you could have one of those guys and only one of them to return to their form, who would you choose? Uh, Suarez for sure. I mean, they, they need, they need his bat. Um, there's just too many other guys. I mean, there's too many other guys in this club that, that aren't good enough at the plate with a past history of being good at the plate that I can't count on. I should be able to count on this guy. I haven't been able to, and he hasn't done it. Um, and hopefully this week was the, was the catalyst. And hopefully maybe that, that hit in the extra innings was the huge catalyst. Um, you know, he's talked about, changing, changing some stuff at the plate. And sometimes that's just, you know, 
words because you're just trying to hit the reset button in any way you can. But, you know, maybe he has found something at the plate. Maybe he does understand it. Listen, you just you can't sit here and think you're going to be a 50 home run guy. And magically it happens. You just need to swing at good pitches, put a good swing on. And if it goes out of the park, great. If it goes into the gap for a three run double like it did yesterday, just as well. Um, I, I, he's never, he was never going to be a 300 hitter. Although Rick, I, I, there was a point in time for me. I thought this was a, a 280 guy with a 550 slugging that was going to hit 40 homers on a consistent basis. And I still think he can be that guy, but, um, you know, in, in a lineup stack with so many left-handed bats, the, you know, the only really right-handed bat that scares you is Nick Castellanos. You need a second right-handed bat to scare people. And, and he should be that guy. Um, I don't think Nick Senzel's ever going to be a scare you guy. I just need him to be be the on base guy and 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 whatnot. So yeah, I'm taking Suarez. Um, I, I I hate to say it for Garrett. I mean, if if I have to choose, I'll just find another arm in the bullpen to to take his place, and he can be my mop up guy or or whatever. So I'm going Suarez. It's a great question. Um, I always like the hypotheticals where you have to choose one over the other because it always makes it sound like you don't want the other guy to get right or you don't believe the other guy is going to get right. But um, I like the either other scenario, so I'm, I'm going to take Suarez. It's funny because the Reds are one of the best offensive teams in baseball. They're, they're right, top they are. I think, I, think, I, I think they're second. Uh, hang on. I, I looked at this. The third and run scored. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you look across all of the different categories, no matter what it is, whether it's hits, extra base hits, slugging percentage, OBP, anything. They, they are among the top 10 teams in almost all of those categories. And most of them, they're in the top five or six. But it's not unreasonable to think this group will cool off some. I mean, you look at Castellanos, Naquin, Winker, Barnhart. All of those guys could come back to earth a little bit from what they're doing right now. And especially when you look at last season and what happened, which it's kind of frustrating to think that they couldn't have paired last season's pitching up with this season's hitting, considering it's pretty much the same guys in in terms of your lineup. But that being said, those guys could cool off a little bit. And I guess, you know, the counter to your, to your point and choosing Suarez would be that they are strong offensively already and they need more help pitching. But I think the problem with that is the pitching problems go far beyond just Amir Garrett here. They don't have that strong of a rotation to begin with. And then the bullpen has more holes in it than just Amir Garrett. He can only help you so much as that one inning guy at the back end of your rotation or at the back end of your pen. I think the the idea of having Suarez in the middle of your lineup and one just being a team that thrives on scoring a lot of runs and, and being the best offensive team overwhelming opposing pitchers and opposing bullpens as much as possible is probably this team's best path to winning as many games as they can anyway. And second, when you're looking at trying to fix that bullpen, you aren't going to be able to get enough done pitching with just getting Amir Garrett right. So I think if you're going to choose between the two, Eugenio Suarez gives you a lot more upside long-term for the season. Yeah, the other thing, too, is I got three guys in my bullpen, though, that I think I can really trust, um, and that's a good place to start. Lucas Sims, TJ Antone, and, and all of a sudden, Heath Embry. Now, his is a small sample size, but it's been ridiculous. Nobody touches that guy. Um, you know, Sims, you can look at his ERA, and it's up there in the fives, but he's got a whip of 1.0, which tells me he's been extremely unlucky. And if you remember, probably a, a chunk of that inflated ERA was that ridiculous game where he had to pitch in the rain and, and um, you know, that, that, that probably inflated it. I know he had another game where he gave up a three run bomb. So a couple of pitches has inflated his, his ERA, but he's been pretty darn good. Antone's been great. So I've, I've got three guys to start with. I need to get Garrett, right? I need to, I need his, his talent and, and his ability to rise to the top, but 
I've got three other guys before I even think about him that I can count on. Yeah. I, and, and I think that's right. I, again, I think I'm, I'm more concerned from a pitching perspective of the fact that the overall staff just isn't good enough, meaning you're not going to get enough good starts. Anyway, I think your best chance is the games that you have a chance to win, meaning your pitcher, the starter kept you in the game. You just want to try to pile on as many runs as possible in those games. And that's why, again, I go back to just continuing to make this offense even better. I mean, if Suarez does return to form all of a sudden and starts hitting like a middle of the lineup type guy, a bona fide feared hitter in the middle of that order that can drive in runs and hit the ball out of the park with some reasonable consistency. Where does this Reds team stack up all of a sudden on the offensive side? They're legitimately one of the best offenses in baseball at that point, probably. And in the National League Central, I think you legitimately see them as a a contender with the Cardinals for best team in the division. Yeah, they they need to do much more consistently. Um, And I think you saw it in this Pittsburgh series, uh, you know, that that, that second game of the series. Listen, you're not beating a team every time you play them. Pittsburgh is bad. But boy, the, the, you know, you got back to 500 on Monday and okay, here we go. Two more with Pittsburgh and you get a chance to go play Colorado and man, start to push this thing out. And then suddenly you lose to Pittsburgh and the rubber game gets, gets very dicey. I mean, that, that seems like a pretty pivotal game as, as early as it was of, you know, suddenly you get yourself back to 500 going, going to Colorado as opposed to being two games under and chasing again and trying to fight that up. I mean, remember the, the last few seasons, they got those bad starts. It was fight, 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 go backwards, fight, 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 go backwards. You know, last year they finally got enough over the hump and thank goodness it was an expanded playoff year to, to get them in the playoffs. Um, but I think a lot of it stems from the consistency across the board. And, and so, yeah, I'm with you. If, if Suarez can start doing that, I think it also, you know, if he starts producing the way he's capable um, then I think it probably puts less stress on the bullpen too, where you're not playing so many one run games, so many tight games. You're getting a, a couple of, I don't want to call them laughers, but a couple of, Hey, got three run lead. Let's get this guy some work and, and, and not have to stress, stress so much in a, in a tie game or a one run game or hold it to a one run deficit to hope our offense comes back. So yeah, I'm, I'm going Suarez. They, they need his bat desperately. Just looking at what's ahead, this Colorado series. I mean, they stink. And if yeah. the Reds all of a sudden take four in a row from them, they could be right in the thick of a race immediately all of a sudden. So I think this this series coming up this weekend is going to be a lot of fun if you're a Reds fan because they have a chance to make some serious noise right here in a hurry. Yeah, come out of that series 2018 with Frisco coming here next week. I'll feel really good about things, especially if Suarez is continuing to swing the bat the way he did this past week, this past series. Just really quickly, can I get your take on the National Anthem standoff? I think Alex Blandino. I, I know everybody thought I, it, it was it was kind of funny. I, I I thought the TV guys went way over the top of how funny it was. Um, That's I think Major League. I think Major League Baseball reacted a little silly about we're not going to do this anymore. I don't think they're going to do it every day, every game. It was, I don't know. It was okay in the moment. It didn't move my needle a whole lot. I just sit there and watch them stare at each other and went, yeah. And uh, it is hilarious that Major League Baseball felt the need to say something. Yeah, about yeah, that. I yeah. I, I, like, and again, I'm not someone that's like, oh, fun police, don't say anything. Because I get it. If I'm Major League Baseball, I'm feeling the same way. Like, yeah, don't be doing that. We've got to start the game on time. That sort of thing. But at the same time, you would have to understand that it ran its course. Like, the funny thing already happened. You can't go out there and do that again next game. Right, there's nothing, yeah. There's no I, joke left to that. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a lot to be squeezed in the first place, there's no juice left in that one. If anyone, if Alex Blandino goes out there again next week and does it, no one is finding that even remotely funny. So yeah, oh, right, right. 
it was a one-off. And yeah, that, I think yeah, it's one of those things you just understand what it is and don't say anything. Now you're like enticing people to challenge you. Yeah. No, no right. Exactly. All right. Let's switch gears here to college basketball. Cincinnati and new head coach Wes Miller made another splash in the transfer portal Wednesday when Wake Forest forward Odie Oguama announced on Twitter he is committed to the Bearcats. Oguama is a six foot nine, 225 pound forward who averaged 7.6 points and 5.4 rebounds while playing 21 minutes per game last season. The Paragats now have 12 scholarships accounted for out of the 13 available for 2021-2022. What did you think of the Bearcats' latest addition, and what do you think they still need to add with that one spot, if anything, Skinny? Yeah, I don't know if there's any one thing to add that's going to make them a ton better. I mean, there's, there's, I think you mentioned this in the transfer portal. There's just not a lot of star power out there. Um, this is a serviceable guy, and that's that's all well and good. And he gives you some size up front. He's gave you some productivity in the ACC. It's like the kid they got from Clemson. It's if you produced it in the ACC at, at Clemson and Wake Forest, um, and in that league, I think you'll be okay to produce at a decent level in the American. And and right. that's that's that, that's that makes it a, a good addition. I will I will ask this though, Rick. I wonder, I wonder what led this guy to transfer from Wake. Did he did he did they run him too hard? <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious. I mean, that's I thought that's the only reason the guys transferred. No, I'm, I mean, I, I seriously, I think the what he gives you is the point about John Newman is a good one. Those two guys give you a legit starting five for this. Right. level. Everyone right. was concerned about the UNCG West situation and the fact that they're just bringing over the entire UNCG team to compete in the American. And and I agree that is not a, a feeling that makes you confident as a UC fan. If you're feeling like, Oh, we're just going to be starting a bunch of UNCG guys. But now when you look at the idea of, okay, you can run out there, Mikey Saunders, David DeJulius, John Newman, Jeremiah Davenport and Odio Guama as your one through five right there. And you feel pretty good about that. I mean, you got three guys who already proved it last year at this level for UC and two guys that are at the high major level that filled a role. They weren't setting the world on fire, but they proved they can fill a role at this level and at least defend, which is what both of those guys, Newman and Aguama probably do best at this point, Aguama especially. So yeah, I think for me, this would just make me confident that this team isn't going to get bullied physically. They're not going to get embarrassed because of a lack of talent. Now you've got a legitimate starting five that you can feel good about. And then from there, if the Hensley kid that they're bringing in the six, eight shooter or the McGinnis kid, who's a, who's a shooter in the backcourt from UNCG, if they can take a step forward and really provide you something, or maybe even the big seven footer Hayden Koval, who's supposed to be a shot blocker with some skill. If he can provide you something at the five, like th- that's fine. That all, that all works out great, but at least going in, you know you have the requisite athleticism and talent to compete in the American. Yeah, I mean, you're going to start three guys who were not great players at the places they were at, but they were certainly serviceable players in in um, in the Clemson kid, this kid from Wake, and David DeJulius, two ACCs in a Big Ten. Right. Okay, I, I think that flies in the American. And, I, you know, Matson proved he can play, and, and the consistency thing for him is big, but he proved he can certainly shoot at that level. Um, Mikey Saunders gives you a change of pace gear guy. And you know, my, my love for Jeremiah Davenport's off the charts as far as all the things he provides. So I do think it's a, it's, it's a capable enough roster to, to go win some games. Yeah. And I fully realize there could be shuffling that goes on there. Mason Madsen could challenge for a starting spot at the, the two or the three to Julius could be the one, um, you know, Hensley could be in the mix for the four. If you slide, that's a good thing. Three Koval could be at the five. Yeah. Like you've got options all of a sudden. I'm not saying any of these guys are locked in, 
But right, right. again, just at the, the baseline, if you look at that five, like you said, you've got three guys that did it at a high major level and played a role to some extent, and a couple of guys who have proved themselves last year that they can give you something in the AAC. So I, I think it was not a pickup that's going to change the trajectory of this team in some huge way, but it is something that raises your floor pretty significantly, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On the topic of Cincinnati basketball, a few more stories came out this week regarding the John Brandon situation. The first was a Q&A from Jaron Cumberland with Justin Williams, and the other was a Q&A with Drew McDonald, the former star at NKU played under Brandon that you did on Local12.com. Skinny, what did you make of the comments from two of Brandon's former players? I think it, I think it shows you that there's different perspectives that players have of the way a coach does some things. Um I thought Jaron, the piece the athletic did, I, 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 I absorbed it. I thought it was well done. Um, I thought he gave honest, good answers. I, I, I think that he was as truthful as he, as he could be. I think he fully didn't accept John Brandon's offense and, and, and rebelled against it. Admittedly did so. Um, he talks about practice being a living hell. I'm sure for him and some others, it probably was if they weren't in the condition they needed to be in. And so I, I go back to all this and then, and then talking to Drew, you know, Drew, Drew was kind of the flip side of, yeah, it was the same practices, the same drills I went through and I puked because I wasn't in shape and that's on me. Um, I think he's a guy that knew he needed to be pushed. And I think with all of this, at the, the crux of it is you're going to get guys who play for coaches who accept that being pushed, some who don't, some who might have gotten pushed too hard and maybe the coach occasionally does push too hard. But I think through all of this is, is the fact of you still have not shown to me cause for firing John Brandon and, and, you know, some players, you know, dropping in conditioning in October tells me possibly maybe those players weren't in top condition. And that's what happens in conditioning guys drop on occasion. They're pushed to a point where their body re rejects it. And as Drew said, my body rejected it. I puked because I ate pizza in skyline and went out partying. And, and, and that was my fault. That's not his fault. That's on me. Um, and so, I know people are so alarmed about that, the conditioning where guys were going down and the training staff had to step in. Well, that's what the training staff is supposed to do. And at the same time, that's what conditioning can become, especially if you're not in condition. And, and I, I wonder if part of this conditioning thing, and I started thinking about this lately, you know, you had COVID, you had guys shut in, you know, were they, were they working out to the point where they were ready to hit the ground running to some degree, or was it uh, COVID, you know, just kind of slow. I don't need to do my workout today. Um, I can stay in my dorm room. I can party a little bit. And it, and it caught up to them on those first few conditioning things. And that's why it's alarming that guys dropped. Yeah, guys dropped and puked when, when they were conditioning under John Brandon at NKU. So I, I just, to me, you just have, you still have not shown me cause. And if you do, you do. I, I'll, I will be the first to say, good for you, UC. You got out from under the contract. But to this point, you're not proving cause to me. First of all, I would like to say Drew McDonald, a true man of the people. I love the line about I was eating Skyline and drinking pitchers and uh, then went out and Pizza. puked because that, that's who my guy was. Like, I, God bless him. When he first got to NKU, he was truly the, the people's champ as a, uh, as a everyman fat guy that could just absolutely ball. Um, and then he got himself into shape. But I think the one thing that's really stood out to me over, especially after last week's show, I got a lot of uh, comments, especially in my DMS where people were really not happy with what we're saying and thinking that this is all like a big defending John Brandon thing and everything. Like, like I, there's one thing that really jumps out to me about all that. 
a lot of UC fans right now, I think, are conflating the idea that UC should be fine with everything and still want John Brandon as head coach with the idea that UC doesn't appear to have cause not to pay him. And those are two very different things. Two very we're, different things. I said last show, we're past the point of talking about whether or not John should be the coach at, at UC. That, it's just, That's right. It's over with. Like Clearly, there was no return for that relationship. It wasn't going to work out at this point. That's fine. UC probably did the right thing by parting ways with John Brand at this point. I think that's fair to say. But that's not the same thing as they had reason to fire him without paying him anything. And that's what is being discussed right now. So that's the biggest thing that stood out to me with the discourse over the last week or two. The people that, especially that have commented towards me, seem to not understand what we're talking about here. This is not about whether or not John did a good job, whether or not you think he should still be the coach. It's about whether or not he did something that would be cause for getting fired without pay. And I don't think we've seen that. The other thing that did stand out to me about Drew's comments, and again, I don't know all the science behind all this. I don't know how bad things were because we weren't at practices. I, I get a lot of the stuff people are saying. And in today's culture, God, if anyone questions their health, that you can't, you can't do anything. You can't question that back. You can't say anything about it. You just have to accept the fact that they were in danger and they're a victim because that's how our society works now. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong in this scenario. I'm just saying that's truly how it is. You really can't push back against this stuff for the most part. I did notice where Drew talked about, I know what drills they were running. I know the sprints that they ran for punishment after missing free throws. I did the same thing. I, I, I heard what they had to do. We had to do even more of that. That's the thing that stood out to me. Like Nothing we heard that they had to run was even remotely out of line for a normal college basketball practice. And it's nothing that if you told another coach about and said, you know, is this is this cruel and unusual punishment or something like that? Every coach in America would laugh in your face, given what we've been told happened in that practice. I'm just saying, like, that's just a fact. I'm not saying it was maybe it was over the line on that day, given the circumstances. Maybe these guys had, I don't know, issues because of COVID or or like you said, they just were right. out of shape at that point. Maybe that's the case. And, and he should have pulled it back more. We don't know. We weren't there. But I do know that what we've been told that they had to do just doesn't add up with guys on their deathbeds all of a sudden. It just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. I've been around enough practices. I, I, I The comments that Drew made where it's like, yeah, I, we had to run the same thing. We actually had to run more of them a lot of times when we didn't make our free throws. And I, I don't think that's unusual or cruel for a basketball practice. I, I tend to agree. And, and, Again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and question the UC guys and and say that what they went through wasn't a different situation because I wasn't there. But based on everything we've been told through the words, through the own words of the players that are making these accusations, it just doesn't all quite add up to me. It just doesn't. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I'm 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 taking Jaron Cumberland his absolute word that he thought practice was hell. Right. That's fine. I, there are plenty of guys who think practice is hell. There's some guys who relish in, in practice. You know, not all guys, but I think there's there's some that do, and some understand that this is the means to the end of having to push myself to the nth degree. I mean, you could argue if Jaron Cumberland maybe pushed himself a bit harder, maybe he does play in the NBA. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe his skill set's not good enough. He's a terrific college player. 
but yeah, one guy views it that way. Another views another. I, uh, uh, Scott Droud, who played at Vanderbilt, whose son Scotty played for us at Beachwood. You know, he talked about when Eddie Fogler came in, in to, to take over for CM Newton, you know, half of their practice a lot of times was spent just blowing up screens. He said it was the damnedest thing ever. He said, we didn't do much basketball. We just blew up screens. I know it's different time, different place. And I think that's the thing that's important with Drew's comments. This isn't Drew McDonald from 20 years ago saying this. This is Drew McDonald from literally his senior year was two years ago. This is about as recent as you can get without him being on that UC team. And I mean, I know he doesn't want to put names on who he's talking to and the guys that, but like, let's face it. I walked into Max pizza pub after an NKU game this year towards the end of the UC season. And he was there with Chris vote, you know? So, I mean, like, it's not like he doesn't talk to guys that were on that team. So he, he hadn't somewhat of an idea of whether it was, the same things or not. And again, I'm not saying that there, there can't be sides in this. Like clearly what's been said here is that some of the guys liked John and some of them didn't, and they felt like he was against them. So obviously people are going to point to, yeah, Chris vote was one of his guys from NKU. That doesn't count. You can't take him at his word. But at the end of the day, when we're just talking about drew McDonald asking Chris vote, Hey, our practice is similar to what we went through at NKU. And he says, yeah, then sorry. I think like drew does have a little bit of a, a worthy opinion here of, what type of practices John Brandon ran? Yeah, I'll leave it at that, Rick. Um, like I said, you know, one guy's going to view it one way, one guy's going to view it another way. I think the bottom line is, and it is apples and oranges. Um, uh, if UC wanted to move on from John Brandon, their prerogative uh, made a good hire. We both like the hire. Wes Miller seems like a great hire. I'm going to guess his practices are going to be a little hard too. But anyway, um, made a great hire. And so that part, I'm, move forward. Good, good for you. But it still comes down to this. You wanted him gone. There's an out in his contract where you have to buy him out. And at the end of the day, you started then looking for cause because you didn't want to pay that buyout. You can't maybe afford to pay that buyout and you're grasping at straws. I still have not been, it's not been proven that, that, that he was fired for cause. It just hasn't, you know, you, you came up with the thing in the resignation letter where you left it wide open of um, illegal benefits to a, to a player. Well, there's a big difference between a McDonald's bag full of cash and $135 you paid out of your pocket to have a guy go see a psychologist. It was wrong. It was um, something that probably should have been through the process of, of the athletic department. It's a, a minor, minor, minor NCE violation that if the money's paid back, it goes away. So what we got here. Yeah, I think that's probably where we'll leave. Uh, we, it hasn't changed a whole lot in the last few weeks, really, but no. did want to touch on a couple more of those comments that came out, especially since you did the, the Q&A with Drew. I thought, you know, the Jaron one was good. The Drew was McDonald good. one was good. was good. I thought both guys gave – uh, good comments. We're very honest. Like you said, Jaron, yes. Jaron's points. He was very critical of himself in a lot of ways and admitted yes. a lot of his own faults. I thought yep. with the fact yep. that he was unwilling to buy and the fact that he was kind of trying to poison the rest of the teammates that, that first year when he felt like he was getting screwed. The one thing that is hilarious to me is that he thought that uh, like the coach was against him for wanting to have meetings with him. No, that's called being a leader, my man. He's asking you to be a leader of the team. He, he wasn't picking on you. He thought maybe you were one of the best players. He, he wanted you to help lead the locker room a little bit. But yeah. uh, I thought that was that was very comical to read. But to his credit, he was very, very honest. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was a great read. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and move on to our betting segment here. The Preakness is this weekend, Skinny. Bob Baffert has turned into a total cartoon character this week right in front of our eyes. What do you make of Baffert's excuses for Derby winner Medina spirit? And how does that impact the way you look at this race as a better now? Uh, the, the thing that that's, that's interesting is his plausible deniability is plausible. 
except when you look at the recent track record. I think that puts the the whole thing in the in the vein of come on, who are you kidding, pal? Now I would also say this: the Kentucky Derby is probably one of the most scrutinized races in the country, um, and I don't think you would also blatantly go over the limit with with putting you know drugs into a to a horse knowing he's going to be tested before going to be tested after that, you know, if, if you do it, something's going to turn up positive. You're not going to sneak through it. Now you can always have your plausible deniability of, well, it was uh, we put some ointment on him and the ointment we found out contained that steroid. We didn't know. Okay. That's plausible. I don't know if I completely buy it. Um, and so I, I think a lot of it comes down to what is this, that the, the, the next test result come out for, for this horse. I mean, um, the, the Preakness obviously allowed him to enter. Um, they're testing him. I think a lot depends on those tests of, of where we look at this. Uh, I, I do think it's disappointing because it is such a big betting day where there's some people who only bet the Derby. Some people only bet triple crown. Um, and some people were in theory, if Medina spirit is, is disqualified, were cheated out of money. Um, and some people also benefited from, from that, but some people with a second place finisher, which was a pretty good piece of change, uh, pretty good odds we're kind of cheated out of money if that's the case. So it's disappointing. Um, I will say this though, if, if the horse stays in the race, I think the Preakness has a chance for a lot of people to watch. Cause you want to watch the cheating horse, right? Oh, well, yeah. I think this whole firestorm this week from a media perspective has really helped the Preakness and made it more intriguing. I think a lot of people are going to be tuned in to see what happens there, especially if Medina spirit does raise. You're absolutely right about that. It is. I don't know if it's a fascinating storyline, but it's been entertaining to some extent. I mean, Baffert has been absolutely ridiculous through all of this what changing his excuse from day to day i mean everyone's already made the point but it truly is the the dog ate my homework story right. at this point do you consider betting on medina spirit here if you are are looking at this i mean there's not a lot of money there you're probably looking at an exact to play or something exotic anyway if you are making a play on him because there's not a ton of value in just betting him straight up what what do you think there from a betting perspective in terms of people who might want to bet him I, I will say that that usually his running style is what fits the Preakness, and he was so gritty in the Derby. But I also think the Derby is so grueling, so taxing to win on the front end, where you set all the fractions and you get pressure down the lane. And he dug in. It wasn't like he drew away from a weak weak field. He dug in and faced faced a bunch of challengers coming down the lane. That takes a lot out of you. And at nine to five, I just I can't do it. I'd like to go midnight bourbon at five to one ran a pretty good six with a terrible trip in the Derby also has a chance to be close to the front. If Medina spirit maybe doesn't make the lead. And at that point, horses sometimes just say, you know what, that's not not today I'm done. And through what he went through. So I kind of like the value there. I I like Rombauer a little bit at 12 to one, but other than that, I I don't, you know, concert tours five to two is a second choice um, was terribly third in the, in the Arkansas Derby just didn't, didn't have it that day. And you can argue that maybe that was the, that was just a bad day. I'm just not willing to go give it a, give him another chance at five to two. So I'm, I'm going to probably make a play on midnight bourbon at five to one. I think it feels, feels like that sixth place finish with a bad trip in the Derby is, is a pretty good place to be. All right. There and maybe you not, and, 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 and not on drugs. <laughs> uh, one other thing I want to get your take on real quick is the NBA playoffs. They will start to play in games on next Tuesday, I believe, as we're recruiting this on Thursday. So we won't talk to you again before they, the playoffs get underway, technically. Um, there has been some movement recently in terms of NBA championship future odds. 
Brooklyn Nets are the favorite right now at plus 200 odds. The Lakers have slid to plus 400 or four to one now. They were two to one just a couple of weeks ago. Do you see any value in the Lakers there, Skinny, sitting at four to one now all of a sudden now that they've fallen to the play in games? I, I do because you got a chance to get the band back together here at the right place, right time. But I also see you're going to have to get through Steph, maybe. Um, it can still shake out because the Warriors are right now the eight seed. They are a half game up on, on the Grizzlies, who are the nine, and the seven plays the eight. And then the winner of that plays the, the nine, ten winner. Um, I, I think there is value on the Lakers just because of that. I, I played cards with a bunch of coaching friends of mine last night, and we actually were talking about, you know, if you had to put odds on or put money on somebody in the West, who would you put it on? I said, I can't do the Suns. I just don't think they're quite ready to, to make that run yet. Um, Clippers are certainly intriguing. Um, I love Utah. I just, again, they're the same way. And then you look around the rest of the West and it's like, I like them, but I like them, but um, the, the Lakers is the one that you go. The upside is if the band is healthy and the band is back together and they are to some, they're, they're missing a couple of complimentary pieces still. And I don't know where a couple of those guys are, to be honest with you, if they're close to coming back or not, but I do know I'm, I'm getting LeBron back. You know, he, he was supposed to be back last night and, and they pushed it off and that's fine. Um, Cause they're pretty much locked into the, they're well, they're a game out of, of, of sixth, I believe at this stage, but they're pretty close to being locked into that play in game. I do think there's value there. And in the East, it's, it's hard not to, to play the nets, but I did it last year. I'm going to do it this year before the playoffs start. I'm going to take another flyer on the 76 I'm just, I don't know why. And I'm going to put a little bit of value play on the heat. Uh, they're another team. Remember they got off to such a bad start. Didn't have Jimmy Butler early playing a lot better here. Um, they made that run last year too, in the and playoffs. they made the run, and they made the run last year. So I, I, I think I get some value there. I'm going to take the Sixers in the Heat in the East, and I think I am going to take the Lakers. Probably take the Lakers Clips. I don't like the Clips much, but I'll probably take the Lakers Clips in the West. Yeah, Lakers are plus four hundred. Like I said, Clippers. That's pretty good. That's a good number, man. I, I for the Lakers, I agree because there's no. I, I maybe people feel differently than I do about the Nets, but I do not see a clear favorite in terms of an NBA champion with this Brooklyn Nets team. I think they are very much ripe for the picking, even with all the talent that they have. Um, the Clippers are plus 550. The Jazz at plus 700. I see some value there, to be quite honest. A little bit, a little bit, but I just, I don't know. I, I just, well, it, it always feels like, it, it feels like in the NBA, you can have a run on a rare occasion like the Heat did last year, but usually you can see it building, right, of, Got a couple building blocks here, moved to this stage of the playoffs, added another another block there, moved to that stage, and then boom, you had the key offseason free agent, and you're right, right to go win a championship. You would I don't think, think the Jazz are there. You would think so, but there also has to be that team that's the power in place already. And you can say that's the Lakers, but they are facing the play-in right now. So again, they, they might have everybody back together. They've been injured a lot at different times this year. You get AD and LeBron on the court at the same time, and – Pretty good. You probably have the best chance of winning it all, if we're being quite honest. But if it's not the Lakers, all of a sudden there really is no team that you point to in the West. I mean, it, no, right? It can it be anybody. It literally wide anybody. open. I, I, I actually, you know, you mentioned the Nuggets, and honestly, with Doncic, the Mavericks, forty to one odds. Nuggets, thirty-five to one odds. I, I know that's a pretty good. I'm kind of it's, interested in both of those teams. I think I'd go Lakers and then sprinkle on the Nuggets or Mavericks. Yeah, no, I, that's a good call. I mean, those. I mean, you could do the you could do the Lakers and them, and, and feel you know you're you're going to come out of there with maybe a, a a good swing at some nice money and a okay swing at some big money. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got one big long shot and then you've got a, a really good odds on a team that quite honestly, I would still probably choose as my favorite to win it all in the Lakers in the East. Is there any value in the Bucks, or are we just kind of well, done with them? They're in the same spot as the Sixers at plus 750. Right. I think there is, again, because I don't really trust the Nets. And then after that, you're looking at the Bucks or the Sixers. So, yeah, I think there's value in, in, in getting the second best team in the East at seven plus 750 odds. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to do, if I, I'm going to do probably two teams. I'm going I'm to do Sixers and Sixers and Heat. What are the Heat? The Heat are sitting at 40 to one. And Man. the Sixers are at plus seven fifty, so seven and a half to one. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 feeling pretty good about that. Then a lot more value on the Heat there, obviously. So yeah, yeah no I would, question. I would consider them as a as a potential play as well. Although it feels like they kind of shot their wad last year on on making a run. Yeah, but but Rick, they've played actually pretty consistently good basketball for a long period of time now. This year, after the terrible, what were they three and ten? I think at one point. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, they, they were worried about Tyler Harrow. So that was, you know, he was the star of last year's postseason and he kind of fell off the, the map this year. So, yeah, 30, 35 and 21 cents in a, in, a, in a conference where you just kind of like we said, there's just not a team where you go, wow, they're great. Obviously, the Nets just from the sheer big three talent are, but it just feels just dysfunctional. It, it may, and maybe it feels like it's too easy that if you roll those three out there, yeah, they're going to win. I got to see because they haven't played much together and I don't know how much together they need to play but I need to see more than what I've seen. That's fair. That's fair. All right. That does it for our betting segment. Let's wrap it up here with a abbreviated version of ask skinny anything where people submit their questions and topics for you. And you by the way, before, them. yeah, before we do that though, how, how did people think our Mount Rushmore's went? Well, I'm going to guess yours. Your, I, I'm going to guess yours got far more run than mine got. Cause I went way more old school. Yeah, I don't know that it's fair to do that, though, because, I mean, like, look, a lot of my following is uh, Xavier guys, like older Xavier guys. I, I don't I mean, I don't think my following necessarily skews that young. OK, uh, that being said, it's it was 86 percent to 14 percent in favor of. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was uh, Rachel Green. Mo Egger wanted Rachel <laughs> Green to be considered a TV mom. Is that no ridiculous thing yeah, you've ever heard? No. No, no, no. She did not. She played a, a a character who who became a mom, but that wasn't the crux of the character. Come on, now, yeah, that Mo. that's come on. That's that's just. I will say, I get what he Mo's list. By the way, after I saw what his Mount Rushmore looked like, he did just want us to be old, creepy, horny men and pick the hottest women. That was well, what he was going for. That's what I was kind of wondering there. I will say, I probably missed on Claire Huxtable. We talked about her. Yeah. Um, I think we both might legit. have. I just don't know who I would have taken off for, on mine. Yeah, I probably would have. I had. I had. Edith Bunker, I would probably take an Edith Bunker off because yeah. her character wasn't as much about her being a mom because really the, the 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 sitcom really centered around Archie Bunker more than anybody else. So I'd probably take her out and put Claire Huxtable in and still feel good with my 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 Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the vote for me versus you was almost equally as lopsided. Who has the better TV mom's Mount Rushmore? Seventy nine percent in favor of me uh, compared to your twenty one percent. So. Yeah, people, 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 Mount Rushmore is about history, history. Yeah, I, I, I still think everyone understands that I won that one. Uh, that but, being but, said, but no, no, here's the thing: if, if, if those TV moms that I mentioned from the earlier TV days, the Carol Brady's and the and the June Cleavers and and Mrs. Cunningham, if they're not successful TV moms, these sitcoms don't come around with other TV moms, man. They don't. Right, but I mean, there were successful presidents that came before the ones that got on the Mount Rushmore. I'm not many just throwing it out there. <laughs> okay. Um, not many. 
All right, let's let's get into uh, some of the questions we have this week. We'll start with a sports question, which this has to be someone who is familiar with the radio days because I believe that's where this joke goes back to. Okay, he says Skinny's thoughts on Tebow to Jacksonville is the Tebow jacket back in play. That was a uh, joke from like the old radio days, right? Where you were about to get a Tim Tebow jacket when he was a potential free agent option for the Bengals. Yes, I I, I was all in on the team Tim Tebow trade. I think <laughs> yes, I think you were. Guy, listen. I, I'm telling you, as a backup quarterback, you can do a whole lot worse. Because all I know is whether the guy has a complete skill set to play in the NFL, he's a winner. I mean, he he Denver that year, it was freaky. It was goofy. I don't know how the hell he did it. But it seemed like every time they needed a big play, he made it. And he got him to the playoff. And there's a lot of quarterbacks in this league who started a long time who, who haven't, you know, won a playoff game, Andy Dalton, gone to playoffs. I mean, he's he's, he's just a winner. I Pure quarterback? No. Winner? Absolutely. Do you think it's problematic at all in that locker room that Urban Meyer, as the new coach, is bringing in a guy like Tebow? No, I, I and I do think it, it is a position switch for sure. Um, and I think it's doing him a solid and, and understanding he's still probably a really good athlete. And if you know that athleticism trends to NFL tight end, I've stolen a pretty good player. And then you know if you want to run a gimmicky package for him on occasion, just that you know down at the goal, I I can't wait to see if he's wearing like number number uh, number fifteen playing tight end, or you know number eighty six playing quarterback out of the shotgun on third and one. I I'm 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 all for that. I'm all for that. If Taysom Hill was already a thing before Tebow got drafted, do you think Tebow has a different career trajectory? Um, that's a good question. Do you think people look um, at him and be like, oh, he's Taysom Hill? Well, yes. And I mean, Cordell Stewart, remember, was a wide receiver who then they made into a quarterback, too. Um, yeah, but that's not th- – those guys, the guys aren't remotely the same in terms of their skill set. And I'm not saying Tebow is Taysom Hill. T- Taysom Hill is a special athlete, and, and, and Tebow is, too, but I don't think he's quite the same as, as Hill in terms of speed and things like that. But they have that same similar, like, quarterback first but hybrid – Swiss Army knife guy. I think Swiss Army knife guy has a place on any roster. I, I, it, I mean, let's face it again on, on game day, you can only suit up 47 dudes. Um, and a couple of those are linemen that you're hoping don't play because they're just there in case somebody gets hurt. So your roster on a game day is pretty limited. And if you want to do some different things, having that Swiss Army knife guy can be really, really intriguing. In my opinion, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised more teams don't don't try it. If Tim Tebow's my third tight end slash third and one quarterback on game day, um, okay, sign me up for a guy like that. All right. Next question. What's the one skill you wish you had the most? I don't know if it's a skill, but I just have no handyman qualities whatsoever. I mean, none. I mean, literally none. Um I'm just, I'm horrible with any of that stuff. I always have been. Um, I think it goes back to my dad was not great at that, but he did do some fix it up stuff around the house. And whenever I came around to help, I was such a hindrance. He'd just make me go away. And so maybe that just turned me off to it. And I just, I have no interest in it. I, I admire those people that can do it. I look at them with sometimes a lot of jealousy because I have literally no, can I put a, a, a screw in a wall? Sure. I can. Can I, can I change a light bulb? Sure. I can. Can I change the batteries in a, in a smoke detector? Sure. I can. Can I, uh, can I clean the gutters out? Yeah, sure. I can. Um, but other than that, man, I have no, I have no handyman abilities and I don't have any interest in it whatsoever. I wish I did. I can do you one better there. Cause I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm terrible at that stuff. 
but I, I'm so bad at it. I and don't even really care. I didn't even put. I didn't even choose that as like what I wish I had because I just I wouldn't like it even if I was able to do it. Yeah, I, right. I'm the same way. <laughs> I'm going with artistic ability. I oh. I would love to be able to draw or just I have do. No, I have zero. Me none. neither. And I've always been that way. But I can't make anything look good. I can't do any graphics that look good. I can't put fonts together. Like I just don't have artistic ability whatsoever. It's just is what it is. I wish I did. Cause I love that type of stuff. I even like going to like art shows and, and looking at other people's like abstract art and stuff. I'm into all of it. I just can't do any of it myself. No, I, I have no ability to draw what whatsoever. None. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even do you a good stick figurine. I still remember my, my grandfather who was a commercial artist of all things. Can you imagine that? He was a commercial artist and I remember the first the first artwork I ever did for him. It was like these bunch of squiggly line circles that I did in different colors. God love him if he didn't frame it and had it in his office until he passed away. I mean, and I, and I remember looking at it after he passed away. We were cleaning some stuff out. I look, I go, why did he like this? I, I get it. I was a little three-year-old grandson doing some artwork for my commercial artist grandfather. And I'm sure he loved that. It was so awful. It was just so bad. Unless maybe he thought it was a Picasso of some kind. Just to, hey, this guy might be a genius. It looks so bad. It's good. I was really hoping you were going to tell me he looked at it and then looked back down at three-year-old you and was like, this sucks. That would have been my dad probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which, uh, th- we've got a couple weird bodily function uh, questions oh here back to back. Would you rather well up with tears or fart every time you meet someone? Ooh. Uh, I- I'd say well up with tears. That's creepy. Farting just... I don't know why farting. I, I don't know why farting in public is so disdain, and it is because we all hate. We all, we all hold back so much on that that if you know, yeah. it, it it is such a it is such a funny phenomenon because when you're around people you're comfortable with, you don't care. Rip away, man. It's just it's the most crazy thing ever, and it's not like, it's not like yo. You know what I want to do today? I want to fart three hundred times. No, your body just it just is what it is, but. Well, we are all disgusted and we're all disgusted by it. Yet when we're by ourselves, rip away, man. Doesn't matter. Sitting back here in the bedroom right now, I'll rip away. Nobody <laughs> needs to know. I mean, it's, it is really the craziest thing. And, and the funny part is I think if I met someone, if somebody came to me and go, Hey, Richard Skinner, I'm Jimmy Smith. Good to meet you. You Bang. too. If he let out a gas versus welling up in tears, I'd probably go, ha, I like that. <laughs> if he went up in tears, I go, what is this creeps issue? Yeah, that's the thing. I think if you fart every time you meet someone, that doesn't mean subsequent times, right? It's just like the first right. time you met them, you farted. Okay. And it's like, okay, yeah. that was awkward, but you can win them over that next time. Um, great, I think you, question. you all with tears that first time. And I think you're right. It's kind of like, I don't know if I ever want to talk to that guy again. He right. Uh, yeah, that, that's a little him. creepy. It's a little yeah. creepy. Yeah. I oh. think it is fart every time I meet someone. I think you're right. I do too. I, I'm with you. All right. And uh, finally, we've got rank these traits in order starting with the least attractive and then in parentheses it says assume looks are equal across the okay assume looks are equal <laughs> across the board so like i think what that means is assume it's like they're all sevens all five of right. these women or men however you view it are sevens okay. and then okay. you assign these traits to them decide which is the least attractive okay okay and so the first trait is rips cigs and drinks bud heavy Okay. The second is drops SBD bombs in public, which is what we were just referring to. Some silent yep. but deadlies. Yep. Um, three is needs every joke explained. Okay. Four is I love this one. Has a little bo in parentheses. Not terrible. Okay. And five okay. is rude to people in the service industry. 
Okay. All right. So I'm going to go. Tough. There are three here that are in very heavy contention for number one, in my opinion. All, all right. So if I'm going to rank these from worst to, to best, being rude to people in the service industry, I just don't, I don't get that. I, yeah. yeah, I'm not a I, fan of that. I think that, that's, that, that's the worst. That's worse. That's, that is actually the worst on the list, in my opinion. I think it is too, but man, needs every joke explained is right there. Oh, because, see that—that's the least for me. I, I'm okay with it. If you're, oh, I disagree. Good, that's if you're, so if you're good enough looking and a bit of a ding dong, I'll, I'll live with you being a bit of a ding dong. Mm, see, I can't do it, Not, especially if it's I, like I'm, a joke I'm, situation. I'm noting you. If, if, if every, you. if you can't say anything, like you can't make a one liner without being stopped and being like, "I don't get it," I would have to get up and leave the situation. I don't. Right, I think I, that might be number one. And here's the problem. The root of the people in the service industry thing is such a turnoff. But after yes. that moment, that cringy moment is over, you're not bothering me. If you have need the, every joke explained to you, I probably can't sit at the same table as you and talk to other people like friends and be around you. I couldn't be with my brothers around you. Like I, I don't know. That's really tough. And then I'll tell you what, uh, ripping SIGs is, kind of disgusting too probably yes not I, yes as yeah as people in service industry but yeah i i put that one um so if i rank them worst to first um i'll go the rude to service industry the the, the ripping cigs and i don't mind the bud part of it it's the cigs part if you're you know chain smoking yeah. cigs i'm gonna have to pass on that um three is probably silent but deadly because you really don't know that they did it right Unless they're unless they are complimentary, unless they're happy with themselves with it, right? Yeah. Although that's yeah, I get if you're in public, that's probably the right way to do it. Although right. if you're in public, a lot of times you can't hear it. You kind of rather just have a loud fart that doesn't smell as bad than an SBD, because an SBD yeah. means like you are really blowing it up. Yeah, that's correct, but nobody knows that it's you. I mean, that's you can true. always play that. You can always play but, that off. But I tell you what, that's not a fun situation to be in either. You're with someone, and there's a terrible smell coming from your guys' area. Now they don't know if it's you or them. I, that's dangerous too. I don't know if I love that. Uh, number two, I, I I think you've talked me out of it, so I'm only going to put it at number two. Um, what did I, what did I have number one before? Uh, rude to people in service industry. No, no, that that's the worst. That's oh. the worst. Worst. Oh, I, you're, I had, your best. You had um rip cigs or ro- drops SBD bombs in public or need no that's joke number explained. three it needs every joke explained so that's number two I'll go with the, the the least is 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 the slight body odor <laughs> yeah I think that's probably right well um yeah has a little bo not terrible is probably the least offensive or maybe yes. drops SBD bombs in public maybe I could get yeah, a, I could live be, with that. because I go back to if that's happening you still don't know who that is right that's you don't true. always officially know who that is yeah I think that's the least bothersome of the group so yeah. I think drops SBD bombs in public is the person I'd most want to date the uh man I think needs every joke explained is the worst to me followed very closely by rude to people in service industry followed very closely by rip sigs. <laughs> yeah. Then we've got a little bit of a break and I'd go needs every joke explained has a little body odor. Yep. All right. There we go. I'm mean, excuse go. me. Good. Drops SBDs has a little body yeah, odor, but yeah. 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 Good, good, good questions as always. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, Rick, we'll be back next week. We appreciate everybody listening for Rick Boring. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the skinny podcast, the weekly potpourri edition.